Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight, we are talking about Catalyst by James Lucino. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and of course, with me as always are Ryan Schweck and Chad J. Shonk. So over to you first, Chad. Just your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. So we will be talking as if you have either done the reading or don't care about spoilers. In addition to that, we might be talking about anything else Star Wars, spoiling anything else Star Wars, including the latest episode of The Bad Batch, or we record on Wednesdays, so the comics are usually pretty hot in my mind, so we might spoil that too. That has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, anything going on? It's pretty dead out there right now. So, I, you know, the biggest, well, we'll get to the one story, but the <laughs> biggest thing in Star Wars, uh, Rising Storm came out, which is the, that is the adult book in the next wave of the first phase of the High Republic. That's such a confusing way they've done this. <laughs> I would just say it did come out on the Barnes & Noble thing, and having read Rising Storm, it is definitely true. If you plan to read these books, read them in the order that they come out. So read Rising Storm, then Race to Crash Point Tower, and then Out of the Shadows. Because if you read them out of order, they will spoil the other ones. That was kind of like last time, right? Yeah. Yeah, not quite as much. Definitely the first two that are out now. Don't read Crash Point Tower first. Yeah, the rule of thumb seems to be read the adult book before you do anything else. Yeah. And then... But we'll get to it. And like I said, it's really good. I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, we'll be talking about it very soon. Yeah. Um, and then really the only other little things that came out news-wise, Patty Jenkins has done some um, press recently about Rogue Squadron. Apparently Rogue Squadron is much further ahead than people thought it was. The script is basically done. It looks now that the announcement that was made, uh, I can't remember, was it San Diego? Or whenever they did that video announcement, that that was supposed to happen in celebration. And so that movie's farther ahead. Um, They're still being really tight-lipped with it. But Jenkins has said that they've given her a lot of freedom to do what she wants to do with it. Um, Uh, Which is uh, going to be interesting to see what happens with that. I'm going to be honest with you. I forgot that movie was happening. Yeah. And then you said the words, and then I remembered <sighs> Wonder Woman 1984. Uh-huh. And uh, I know you liked it, Ryan, but I was not a fan. So I'm not uh, hear, hearing that she's got even more. You know, I, I have high hopes. Well, I don't have high hopes, but I have high. <laughs> uh, I, no, I do. I have high hopes. I don't have high expectations. Hopes for mediocrity. That's the best. No, I, I want it to be really good. Yeah. Right. And it could be really good. Wonder Woman was so bad. Let's see what else. Oh, they did release some um, video and some stills from Star Wars Visions, the anime anthology that's going to come out. I, it looks pretty good. You know, it looks interesting, which is, I think, what that needs to be. Um, some of the designs look really neat and the different kind of art styles being used. So that'll come soon. It wasn't a trailer? It's kind of a trailer. Okay, I didn't it's, look at it, but I, I I thought I saw something about a trailer. I just looked at the stills. 
Yeah, it's kind of a video and they just show different like. Gotcha. Oh, look at, here's all these people that are doing this and here's a second of video. Yeah, but it looks good. And then, of course, the big Star Wars news of the week that is engulfing the internet is Slave One. So it kind of perfectly encompasses Star Wars fandom right now. A Lego set came out for The Mandalorian. And it is listed as Boba Fett's ship and not Slave One. Then a Lego executive comes out because he got asked and said, yep, this is something Disney has been working towards for a long time and something they want. And so, you know, people have been freaking out about it. And then you've got the other side freaking out saying, no, it's just a Lego toy. Don't blame Disney when, you know... The, the reality is it's in the middle. I mean, look, it is Disney's right and totally understandable not to want to sell a children's toy called Slave One. Yes. Yep. I mean, it just is. And, you know, as much as we all love Slave One, it is only spoken in any of the cartoons or any of the movies. Slave One is said once on Clone Wars one time. Yeah, isn't isn't that just something Aura Singh says like one time off just a throwaway? And it's in the comics now. I mean, yeah, so and, it's, and it's always been the name of the ship. Yeah, it is. But you know, for a kid, that's Boba Fett's ship. That's all that it needs to be. It is, and you know, it's not like you know, if you're really that butthurt about it be calling Slave One, well, congratulations, you can say Slave One in your head, and it's still <laughs> Slave One. You can say it out loud; it's still Slave One. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and I kind of wonder too, and you know, people have pointed out that they are still selling currently a vintage collection uh, Slave One, and it says Boba Fett Slave One. I kind of wonder too, though, because it's Mandalorian, especially, and you know, he's a good guy now. If they're trying to distance, right. like, maybe they won't call it that. Or shoot, maybe it's a whole different fire spray. Who knows? You know what, people? Things, uh, times change. <laughs> Yeah. They just do. Yep. They just they just do, and you're not going to be able to stop it. You either uh, get out of the way or embrace it, <laughs> and so it should change your enjoyment of Star Wars absolutely zero. Boy, the internet, Lordy. Oh, it's been, yeah. been a rough one for this one. Twitter I'm was sure. blowing up. I was like, wait, what is this all about? Oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah. Did you watch the panel with the writers? I did. Yeah, I caught some of it. I caught some of it. I did. It was, uh, you know, it was fine. It was... Nothing new. It was all just no. kind of shilling. Yeah, it, it was much more shilling than you would see at like a Comic-Con panel or Dragon Con panel where they're, I think, a little more free to talk and it's more a little off the cuff. They do seem to like each other. They do. What I was impressed by, so I didn't watch the whole thing because it it became like Charles, like the beginning of it was Sewell like going around the horn and having everybody talk about their books and everything. And I was like, well, I've read all their books. I don't need to hear about them. So I kind of tuned out, but I did get the sense, oh, these people really get along. They're really kind of gelling on the same level, even though they, a lot of them, I don't think have ever met face to face. They have. They oh, have they now? Apparently they met face to face at uh, the ranch. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they talked about what a big thing that was. Yeah. They seem to really get along and, and they seem to understand that they're doing something really cool. Yeah. Someone should mention to someone at Star Wars that sometimes it's good to have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to mention and say hi to the guy that I met at Barnes and Noble that may or may not be listening. <laughs> he was, we were there having their Criterion uh, Blu-ray sale. So we were there doing that. And he had a copy of Thrawn Ascendancy, book one, and he had a copy of 
Light of the Jedi under his arm. And so I told him all about the show. So if he's listening, hi. Um, if not, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if not, I tried. That's all we got for this week. You're a hard man to find, Galen. But farming. Really? Man of your talents? It's a peaceful life. It's lonely, I imagine. Since Leo died, yes. Oh. Oh. My condolences. Search the house! So, tonight we're going to be talking about Catalyst, which is a prequel novel to Rogue One. So before we get to Rogue or to Catalyst, we want to talk a little bit about Rogue One. Rogue One is not the most divisive Star Wars movie, I think. I think it's one of the ones that has some of the most changes from the other movies. Um, but we just want to talk about, you know, do you like it still? Kind of five, six years out, does it hold up? And also kind of some of the changes about Rogue One, because Rogue One had a lot of behind-the-scenes drama as far as changes from the initial script to the ending, which the ending is different from what you see in the trailer. They reshot a lot of that ending before that movie came out. Yeah, there's a lot of shots in the trailer that yeah, aren't that, in the movie. That awesome shot of Krennic with the TIE fighter coming up behind him does yeah. not happen yeah. in that movie. And even the line of I'm a rebel, I'm a rebel, I rebel. You know what? I was thinking about that because I love that line so much. And I rewatched the movie getting ready for this. And I was like, I totally forgot that's not, you know, she does her yeah. rebellions are built on hope line. But yeah, that's, that's a big line that people remember. And I went looking for it. I wanted to clip it into one of our other conversations. So I, I have uh, low res copies of the movies on my hard drive so I can swing them over and pull clips for this. And it was, I could, it's not in there. <laughs> <laughs> like she never said it. I mean, I, I've obviously talked a lot about Rogue One and how much I love it. And that it is probably at this point my favorite Star Wars movie. There's just so much I like about how it kind of weaves together. It still has the force, but I really like the way it treats it. And obviously I always like anything to do with the Rebellion. I don't know. What do y'all, how, how has it held up for y'all? I feel like I get crap because I love this movie. I don't love Jin. And what we're going to talk about in a few weeks is what finally made me like Jin. A book made me like Jin much more than I do in the movies. Because her, her character seems to just flip a switch and all of a sudden she's a rebel. Right. My daddy died. I'm a rebel. You get a few, you get that one exchange between her and Saul where he kind of says, you know, you were the best soldier I had. And that she was one of the Parsons and she was really involved in it. Yeah. But it doesn't go into it enough. I think you're right. And in the original cut of the movie, she was much more, or not even a cut, the original script. She was much more of still that kind of freedom fighter, I think. She was still in the fight, yeah. Yeah, initially, the beginning is that she discovers the straight up Death Star. Then she goes out to find the plans and she kind of starts this hunt to figure out how to destroy this thing. Yeah, it was kind of her and Cassian almost were the same character. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like 
in the movie, there's just not enough. There's not enough progression of her character to get from where we start with her to where we end up with her. It just feels like it. It's just too sudden. There's not enough development of her character. I think Rebel Rising adds a lot to it. It does. And Catalyst helps. I think Catalyst adds more to that movie, almost more than any other book has added to a movie. Just kind of knowing, you know, who Galen is, even who Lear is, and kind of background of Krennic and how this all came about. Like, it, it definitely helps you to appreciate the movie more. I watched the movie today, probably the, in the first time in over a year since I've seen it. I will agree with Beth to an extent. I would say most of the characterizations are fairly shallow. It's not a character piece. If there's anything lacking from it, it's a little bit of emotional depth. But again, I don't know if I want that from this movie. Mm-hmm. It is to date probably the best of the Disney films. Force Awakens might be a little more impressive at times, but like uh, as far as pure watchability, I, I the only thing that makes it like not infinitely rewatchable is they all die. <laughs> so it makes it a little harder sometimes to get through. Well, okay, so what do you think? Because originally only K2SO died and the rest got out. This was absolutely the right decision. It really was. I, I was reading that too and I was like, that's... And I'm sure we'll talk about the ending and, and our disagreements about the ending of the film, but on the level of something like a, a Dirty Dozen or something, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like a Men on a Mission movie. Success is not based on whether they live or die. Success is based on whether or not they accomplish the mission. With the stakes being what they are in Rogue One, I think, to me, when I saw the trailer, I said, oh, they're all going to die. <laughs> me too. One, they're not in the other movies, but also... And they have to. That's what makes a hero. It seems like the correct choice. I can understand it in the first drafts. You know, you're also, I think, the reason the the new ending works and why it's essential is because they made the decision to kill them all. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the lack of a romance. Yes, which was originally supposed to be there. And and I could tell that's they they were thinking about it but they didn't go with it and I appreciate they didn't go with that. Because yeah, no, that was good. That was good. That was good. You're about to die. You got to hug somebody. <laughs> watching it today, I was reminded of that first time watching it. It looks really good. It manages to use the with one exception that kind of bothered me but use the new hope iconography to good results. You know, to for, for to be impactful. I don't like the Dr. Evazan Pondo Baba cameo no, very uh, much. No, that was unnecessary. Hey, you just watch yourself. No, no. We don't want any trouble. Sorry. Just a little too cute is all. Now, I will say this. I still, five years later, am not sure if Tarkin was the right decision. <sighs> it sticks out more and more for not looking real great. <laughs> Would we have faulted them if they had just cast another actor? I wouldn't want him cast by a different actor. I could have done, when you first see him and he's just staring out the window talking, I think that would have been enough. You could have gotten what he does and what he's about in this movie from that. You could have just, yeah, found a a guy with a similar build and given him the right hairdo and shot him from the back. See, I think you could have just cast him. Why not? We're recasting other people. We're, we've got a new Lando everybody loves, and we recast Han. Like, I don't think anyone would have faulted them if they wanted to have Tarkin in the story of casting a new actor. The time difference isn't big enough, though. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think with Han and uh, Lando, you're seeing them 15 years, however long it is. I'm telling you, not one person would have cared. <laughs> 
I mean, but yeah, but you haven't. I mean, I'm sorry. I I watch go watch Iron Man and then Iron Man Two. It happens. Yeah. People get recast, and so in this case, it's I don't know. It's another actor picking up the mantle of the character. Yeah, there's not a huge age difference, I guess, but it doesn't. I, I all I'm saying is I don't think anyone would have faulted them for that decision, and instead they took a big swing with creating an all digital version of him and having him in it in it way more than I thought he was going to be. Like I didn't even know he was in the movie when I sat down to watch it. Yeah, I didn't either. I I agree. If if they done like a small bit that might have been okay but yeah they put him in the movie a lot to me if you have him in the movie this much you cast a real actor to just play the part if you want to have him in a small little cameo you can get away with this now i will say i was showing it to my kid and she had no clue that wasn't a real person i guess if you're not looking for it well that's the problem but that's the problem with this digital these digital facelifts these digital resurrections the problem with them is, is as long as you know in your brain that that's not real your brain will always look for it. It will always look for what's wrong. These things are actually amazing, right? They look incredible, but our brains are just going to look for the things that don't look right because we know it's not real and we'll never be able to get. And the problem is, I don't think we'll ever be able to get past that. But if you show my kids that scene, if you show them my kids, the Luke Skywalker scene at the end of The Mandalorian, it's not going to even phase them that that's not a real person. Because they're not looking for it to be a fake person. They're not looking for the computer. And so, but I think that's an inherent problem. You know, I really liked Scorsese's The Irishman. And in general, the de-aging effects were pretty good. But I still, I still know that Robert De Niro is in his 70s. And so when you show me 40-year-old Robert De Niro, I'm looking to see if it's any good or not. And then I'm taken out of the movie. Which I found they're doing it with Indiana Jones in this new one. At least some. For like a prologue, probably. Yeah. I guess. I, I think the Thrawn hip. Not Tarkin, excuse me. Tarkin being in it more too is kind of left over from that original script. Where I mean, originally Leia's in it a lot more, Wedge is in it, Akbar's in it, Vader is in it a lot. Vader like leads the assault on the beach. Yeah. Which look, Vader is my least favorite part of the movie. Yeah. But I think you're both crazy. Vader on the Go beach ahead. would crack me up just because of all the sand jokes you could make, and I would take it. <laughs> Be like the hound jumping into a fiery battlefield. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they they make some weird choices. Did you notice when you watched it this time? And I thought about it. Like, so you know, they don't do the crawl, but in this one, they do the planet names. So when they go to except for one, Edu, yeah, they show Edu. Then they go to Mustafar, and like they don't put Mustafar like it's a big secret. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it's a lava planet. What could this be? It was a big secret. We didn't know we were going to go to Mustafar. We didn't know we were going to see Castle Vader. And it would have given away probably who we were about to go see. We didn't know any of that going in. And we didn't find out it was Mustafar until the visual guide. Well, everyone assumed it was Mustafar, though. You show me a lava planet with Vader's castle? Yep, know where that is. They did, but if you had started with Mustafar, then I think you... I think their mindset is I think they that dulls the reveal of Vader's castle and the reveal of Vader. It gives you too much of a hint ahead of time. I remember because we recorded the Needless Things podcast. It was me, you and Dave and maybe one other person, maybe Jay. Uh And it was like the day Carrie died. Yeah. And we were all very high on the movie. I really still love it. I don't watch it often because it just has it just sometimes it's tough to watch. I do think the middle bogs down a little bit. Uh, I do think there could be a little more story in the middle. Mm-hmm. There are some things left over from the earlier drafts. Like, listen, I don't care what Gary Wood's intention was. The Borg gullet is stupid and shouldn't be in the movie. The Borg gullet is so dumb. I understand there was a much bigger thing and how it worked. 
great, but it's not in there, so it shouldn't be in there at all because it makes zero sense. Right, because it stops affecting Bodhi almost immediately. Like, if he had carried that out the rest of the movie, right? okay. He Maybe he was supposed to, but then it makes it insufferable. Right. right? Eventually, Bodhi had to become yeah. a character. Plus, you don't want to bottle up Rizamed like that. He's a very charismatic actor. You want him to do his thing, you know? So some of the stuff like that doesn't really work for me. But man, that loving Catalyst and now having read twice, like the first scene means so much more to me. Mm-hmm. I can't help but get goosebumps every time she's like walking through the Yavin Temple. And it just brings this real coherence to the story to me. It makes whatever they ended up doing to patch it up. And I read all the stories, too. I think they make a pretty seamless handoff to A New Hope. And we talked about this in, on a certain point of view, like Scarif has been a, a boon mm-hmm. to the storytellers mm-hmm. trying to tell the story of the Alliance. It gives you this extra event. So we, and not everything's Alderaan, not everything's Yavin, something else for them to hold on to. The problem with Jin is like, she's not trying to be a likable person. <laughs> And she isn't a likable person. And so that makes it harder to get into her head. I don't agree with her switching as fast because like Ryan said, I think the idea is that she totally is a rebel. She's just walked away from that life for a while because, you know, she got bitter and apathetic about it, you know. And this is her kind of rekindling it. If you get raised by Saul Guerrero, you're going to be pretty messed up anyway. (laughs) I also remember Saul being in it being a big deal. Yeah. Because this was a character from the cartoon. And this is well before we got live action Ahsoka Tano and and, and, and and all these characters on The Mandalorian, right? Live action Bo-Katan. This was a live action character from The Clone Wars. And just the fact they say Hera's name. Yes. That's like, and Chopper's there too, but hearing them call General Sindala was a huge thing. I nerded out so hard when I heard that. I was And Terry was watching with me and I was just like, you don't know what that means, but that was amazing. The importance of the Kyber crystals is kind of... The reveal that the Death Star is powered by Kyber uh-huh. Jeddah and this kind of Jedi holy city, which I thought was really kind of a cool image. It's a really good looking city too, the way they present it. I was watching today in, uh, in 4K and it looks gorgeous. And the image of that big Jedi yeah. statue falling over in the sand. But it also manages to capture you with all the trappings of the original trilogy, the Stormtrooper. You know, yeah, we get new Stormtroopers, but we got a lot of old school Stormtroopers, too. We get walkers. It does what my favorite Expanded Universe stuff did, which is just filling in the little nooks and crannies and introducing me to characters I cared about. Like I said, I think the characters are a little shallow. I think Baze and Chariot end up becoming the ones that people remember the most. I want more books about them. Me too. What they were up to. Those were the characters I I cared about. Those, I mean, obviously Cassian is a good character, but the other characters had a little more backstory to them that I felt like could be told through a book, not a movie or a TV series, but they deserve some books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised. I mean, it's probably part of her contract that Felicity only had to make the one movie. But like she also, I mean, she, but she did a voice. She did voices on um, Forces of Destiny, the short mm-hmm. cartoons. Uh, I know um, Felicity Jones came back and played Jin in uh, one or two of those. I think you found something of mine. Maybe. Who's asking? Uh, I don't have time for this. There are people counting on me. I've made that mistake. Ah, so you're a loner. I prefer it that way. And I prefer to have what I came for. Give me a reason why. I used to work alone too, but these days, I can't just think about myself. There's information on that device that's going to help people. Now, will you help me? I mean, we haven't even talked about Krennic very much. He's obviously a character, you know, that I happen to love. 
he was a completely different type of Star Wars bad guy uh, that we had ever seen before. He was the first full bureaucrat with no military whatsoever that had an interesting story that that wasn't boring to read. It wasn't like him walking around going, so yeah, um, Space Peter, I'm going to need you to go ahead <laughs> right. and come yeah. in on uh, Saturday. It also has the greatest Starfighter battle in the history of Star Wars. Really good inclusion of like old footage too. Like that stuff kind of seamlessly goes into it. That's what jumped, got me out of my seat is when Red Leader showed up. Mm-hmm. That's when I was like, oh, they're they're going for this. They are they are meshing these two movies together. Red five dying. That's such an <laughs> awesome like little detail. Yeah, I think it's a very enjoyable, enjoyable movie. But I do want to talk before we go. I do want to talk about the ending that you seem to have. Boo! So ridiculous. Everybody dies. The whole point of the ending is to remind you why. Right. The whole point of the ending is to say is to remind you the whole theme of the movie rebellions are built on hope Leia's last line being hope without the ending to I to me the ending is what fills me full of hope it's like oh yeah their sacrifice is not in vain their sacrifice is going to end up the plans are going to end up in the hands of Leia at the end of the movie and they're going to go on to destroy the Death Star now when I say I don't like the ending I like the Leia part I'm all for the Leia part what I hate is Darth Vader hallway yeah. yeah, I hate it with a passion. That's what I, I hate. I turned the movie off. I skipped. Why? It. Why? And all of the cool things we've seen him do. You've watched him on Rebels. You've watched him and you've played him in video games. This is the one thing that bothers you that he beats the crap out of a bunch of soldiers. He had a reason to be in Rebels. He I mean, the he's chasing the Death Star plans. When we start Star Wars, he's the one chasing the Death Star plans. This is the beginning of him chasing the Death Star plans. I'm fine with him being at the end. If he, that shot of when the tan of like detaches and escapes and he's kind of standing up there watching it go. Totally fine with that. Right. I don't want murder hallway where like he goes head first and uses these amazing force towers. He doesn't rewatch it. Uh, You keep turning. You're so, no, you're, you're full of it. Go watch it. He doesn't, he's not, he, he doesn't, He's not using magical force powers. He's walking. Now he rips all their guns out of their hands and he flips them all. Like he doesn't do anything. He does. There's no acrobatics whatsoever. He's not flipping. He does not. He's not doing. He flips some people. He flips some people. You're saying Darth Vader can't flip a person with the force? Well, here's my thing, though. Like, why when a new hope starts? What do I need those stormtroopers for then? Just have Vader come strolling on in and he can just kill everybody. I just but that's that's that could be the case in every single scene in every single movie where yeah. the bad where the biggest bad guy has soldiers. That could be said for the entire trilogy. Then why does Darth Vader ever have soldiers with him if he's powerful? I mean, <sighs> I, I don't know. I think you're getting caught up on the fact that in 1976, George Lucas didn't have the money or the skill or the talent to put together an actual lightsaber fight. Yeah. So you got two old men tapping swords together, which, by the way, is, in my opinion, one of the fault flaws of that film is that fight is so fucking boring. That CGI version that guy made is awesome, though. Oh, yeah, it is. (laughs) I think you go from this kind of emotional, we're all going to die. And I like going into Leia Hope 
And then just wedged in there, all of a sudden we have this action scene of Vader mowing down a bunch of people. It's it's the it's the story of them getting the plans into Leia's hands. It also concerns me too that when Vader, when Leia's like, and we talked about this, where she's like, we're on a diplomatic mission. You can't do this. Like, yeah, he just killed a bunch of people. He knows exactly where you've been. And I know like that's her, her not wanting to admit it and all that stuff. I mean, he doesn't believe her. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, we had our action climax at the end of this movie with Jin and Cassian getting blowed up. We've had our action climax. We had the big fight on the beach at Scarif. We had the big, awesome space battle, which was really awesome. I didn't need another little tiny battle in a hallway to 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 make me see where it's going. I get where it's going. I see where this is headed. It's headed to a new hope. It's like three minutes. <laughs> It's like a three minute sequence that shows they do not want the plans to get out, shows you that Vader is going to be that Vader's quest is to um, capture the plan starts here. That's his entire story in the second in the first movie as he's trying to find the plans. Jin fighting Krennic was we don't want the plans to get out. Sure. The whole armada showing up is we don't want to get plans to get out. Would you care if this was a post credit sequence? Yes. Maybe. Okay, you say you don't want to see it, but you want to see Leia getting the plans. Yeah, because that goes with the theme of the and movie. They could have done that without Vader. I, I, I literally, I don't, I, I literally don't understand what you guys are saying. <laughs> it, it makes no sense to me. It's a fun scene. I don't know what theaters you were in, but the, that audiences loved, absolutely loved. You want to say fan service in that movie? That is nothing but. Okay, what in that scene does not fit into the Star Wars galaxy or the Star Wars story? What does not fit? Super Vader. What do you mean Super Vader? <laughs> Fitting in doesn't equal necessary for me to see. Where's where's Billy Badass in like 30 minutes when he, <laughs> he catches up with him? I, yeah, I mean, I said, I think you're too hung up on that, but uh, on, on Vader's apparent weakness in A New Hope. I would be less satisfied with that movie if it just ended with Jin and and uh, 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 Cassian dying on the beach. Then it's depressing. No, I agree with that. No, I, then I it's agree. Depressing. So then all you want is a cut to the plans being handed to Leia and her saying hope. They decided to make a sequence. Or they 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 could be being attacked. That's fine. But it doesn't have to be. Your only problem is that it's Vader. Yes. yes. The person who was chasing them at the beginning of the next movie. Yeah, not doing yeah. awesome stuff. <laughs> What if he just walked down the hallway and didn't kill anybody? Would that bother you? Or is it his, his existence is there? Or I the think f- I would like that better. Or the fact yeah. that the f- chosen one is a good fighter. Why does that bother you that Anakin Skywalker could beat up a bunch of grunts? Because he's more machine than man now. <laughs> yup. <laughs> the force is not strong with him anymore, damn it. That is fan-made bullshit. <laughs> that is an excuse we have made up. <laughs> Get me a movie that tells me that. I feel like Shrek, that's are we canon. just trolling Chad now? So. Is this just a troll session? Let's let's talk about the Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> the whole story of A New Hope is predicated, at least the first half, on Vader chasing after the plans. Well, here's the first step of him chasing into the plans, and I—it's not 100 fan made. It's in the uh, Revenge of the Sith book, where like the Emperor says. He's less powerful. I will not accept the the production limitations of a movie made in 1976 as a criticism for a film made in 2016. But if your whole point of the movie is to dovetail into the 1976 movie, sure, then you got to go with it. 
that's your limitation that was set. So Vader doesn't get to be awesome. I think you are wrong. And I think that (laughs) you're both flat out wrong. And for 20 years, we complain we never got to see Vader do anything cool. And all of a sudden we get a scene with Vader doing something cool and you freak out on it. And it, it doesn't it literally doesn't make any sense to me. It's like it's it's fun. It's a good time. It is showing him as a force to be reckoned with, which unless you're saying that he shouldn't be a care. I mean, he's one of the scariest villains in the history of movies when he first came on screen in 1977. He's one of the great movie villains. He's scary because he can not touch you and choke you. But as as we discussed in from a certain point of view, he's still relatively close to you when he doesn't touch you and chokes you. I think you're thinking about this like he's a and role-playing game character and he's not <laughs> he doesn't have a stat block he doesn't have a skill tree like he's a he's a he's a movie villain vader clearly rolled a 20 before he walked <laughs> in that hall and i think the dice were loaded with all of the stuff we read and all the comics and the books that we read we have seen vader do far more powerful things than that scene far more did you read vader down that's true he takes down starfighters in that well, for our podcast, it's two to one. We're right, Vader. <laughs> Be careful not to choke on your aspirations, director. So before I start, I will say that this is a very dense book. Yes. A lot of stuff happened. So I did my best to condense so that we aren't doing a recap for the next 30 minutes. It's dense, but still shorter than I remembered. It is. Yeah. I, In my Kindle version, I was at 86% when the book ended, and I was like, yeah. wait, what? We're done? Yeah, I rewrite it in one day. Catalyst tells the story of how to get an infrastructure project complete, no matter how many indigenous people, resource scarcity, funding, or environmental policies get in the way of building your oil pipeline. Oops, I mean murder moon. (laughs) The book follows Galen Urso and Orson Krennic as they work work to finish the Death Star, whether Urso knows it or not. Urso starts the book working for Zeppin Industries on the planet Vault, making synthetic crystals in order to power the galaxy based on his studies of the kind. Along with his pregnant wife, Lyra, he's taken prisoner by the Separatists, who overthrow the planetary government. While in prison, Galen makes friends with his jailers and is able to attend the birth of Jen Urso, future rebel leader. They are eventually saved by Orson Krennic, an old college friend, and the Republic, who realize they need his help to complete the Death Star laser. On the way home, they drop by Galen's home planet of Grange to show him how the war with the Separatists must stop. However, it has the opposite effects and just pushes Galen further into being a wussy pacifist. After returning to Coruscant, Galen remains under suspicion as a traitor, unable to work for months, which is a plan by Krennic to get him to work for him that never really seems to work out. In the meantime, Krennic oversees the completion of the Death Star, over the planet of Geonosis with the help of Pago the Lesser, who switches sides from the Separatists and helps the Republic with the build until he orders all the Geonosians to destroy it and he runs back to Dooku. Krennic sets up Galen with an unfulfilling job on Lokeri, 
a planet constantly under Separatist attack, with the goal that he will decide to join the war effort eventually. During a droid attack, while Lyra and Jen and Galen escape, the Ursos are chased through the city only to be saved when the Clone Wars end and all the droids deactivate. The Ursos move back to Coruscant and start work on Project Celestial Power, which Krennic tells Galen is the Emperor's same dream to provide power to the galaxy while ignoring the fact that he's clearly an evil space wizard. Throughout all of this, Lyra is on to Krennic for being shady and tries to warn Galen, proving that your wife is always right. Now, in fully building his murder machine mode, Krennic begins to use Haas Orbit, a smuggler uh, to make fake weapon drops so that the Empire will then remove legacy status for environmentally protected worlds. He also sets up a parallel facility run by some of Galen's old college buddies who are weaponizing Galen's work and, of course, blow themselves up. Lyra starts to get suspicious, so Krennic arranges for her and Jen to fly with Orbit to survey for Kyber to keep her busy for a few months. Haas bonds with Jen, and they, on the way home, shows her what Krennic has really been up to. Lyra gets back to Coruscant and finds Galen obsessed with unlocking the secrets of the Kyber, which he now has unlimited access to, what with all the surplus lightsabers lying around, along with all the open temples that are just open for the taking now. This allows Galen to unknowingly create the Death Star laser. Krennic, needing more material, sets up another fake weapon drop with Haas, who decides he's done with this and teams up with Saw Gerrera to warn the system. Tarkin and the Empire show up to battle the fledging rebellion, keeping Tarkin busy, while Krennic moves up into command and gets a jaunty cape. It's a lot of capes. His research team finally puts together what's happened. So Krennic blows them up too. This makes Lyra even more suspicious as the records of her friends and the planet that she was tipped off there on is suddenly completely gone like that wouldn't be suspicious at all. Krennic threatens Lyra with arrest and taking away Jen. She confronts Galen who admits that he finally has realized something isn't right and discovers Apparently. that the shocking, shockingly the evil space wizard is actually just building a weapon. Tarkin beats back the proto-rebels and captures Haas Orbeck getting him to admit to everything with Krennic has been up to. The Ursos finally confront Krennic, but try to convince him that, eh, they're okay with this and they're going to keep on working. He tracks communications with Haas, but it turns out it was all an elaborate ruse to have the Ursos escape with Saul Guerrero. Haas continues to work with Tarkin as a spy and Krennic hunting the Ursos. However, he's now viewed as a hero of the galaxy. Tarkin is promoted to oversee the security of the Death Star, with goals to take it over, while Krennic gets demoted but gets to keep the cape. And the Ursos live happily ever after. Right, guys? <laughs> the end. The end. The least believable thing about this book is Haas gets a happy ending. Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, Haas, we know what you did. You're great, buddy. Tarkin just let him go. Mm hmm. I had forgotten Hossie was was a, was a character. And he's in it a lot. <laughs> he is yeah. in it a lot. And I'd forgotten all about him, too. And I'm reading it and I'm like, wait, at the end, he just gets away. <laughs> he just gets a girlfriend and goes off. I, d I don't think Tarkin works like that. Even Krennic let him like kind of get away because Krennic kills, Krennic kills everybody. <laughs> yeah. Anybody that knows anything about this thing, he's like, and go ahead and take care of them. It's a great book. It, it gives me lots of questions about the security of the Death Star. Um, because right. I, I added it up. The Death Star took, at a minimum, 23 years to be built. 
Mm-hmm. You're telling me mm-hmm. <laughs> with as many people as worked Don't on this. Poke thing, holes. <laughs> Don't poke holes. Nobody saw this thing. <laughs> like, but and it makes me wonder too. Like, I kind of want to see, and I don't think we have an in canon story now about the Return of the Jedi Death Star. Because if this one took 23 years, it's not complete. He just started building a new one like that minute. Like, okay, so this one's almost done. Let's go ahead and start a second. Mm-hmm. At least according to this book. A large chunk, though, of that development time was the super laser. Yeah. And if they've cracked that technology, it you could make a case that like building a the second Death Star would take a lot less time. I guess it's one of those things. Yeah, you build it the first time. Right. You've cracked it. It still takes a very long time to do. And I don't think the implication is that this wasn't already in the works, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, once you've I mean, it took them when this book ends and then you pick up the next book, they still haven't figured out the super laser. Or when the movie starts, right? Or they have 100% figured out the super laser. So, like, that takes a big chunk of the time. Once they have that, once they have those plans. Yeah. Well. <laughs> unless they blew them up on Scarif and had to start from scratch. A lot of time, for some reason, and I don't know why I don't remember this, not as much time passes between the end of this book and the start of Rogue One. Like, almost no time. Maybe a year. Maybe a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Max. Because the scene we see with Jen in row one, I think, is that scene in the apartment where Krennic confronts them. Right. Well, and Jen's also, how old is she at the beginning of the movie? Eight-ish. Yeah, she's eight when Krennic shows up on Lamu. Right, so... She's not that much older than young. She's not that much younger than that when they leave, right? She's yeah, a walking, talking six or seven, six year old, five year old, five yeah, or six year old. She's around at least, six. right? And then she's 21 in the rest of Rogue One. Right. So it's been a couple of, you know, been a couple of years of farming, farming poorly. If you read the uh, Rogue One novelization, one of the first things Alexander Freed says is what a bad farmer Galen Orser was. Which is not super surprising. No. I said, I read this book. I finished it the night before Rogue One opened. Man, that was the easiest transition. <laughs> like it was it was legitimately one of the more satisfying Star Wars experiences I've ever had. Finishing that book, getting up the next morning and going to see Rogue One and rolling in and look look who I'm look who it is. It's the Ursos and it's Krennic, who I just spent a whole book with. Yeah, I'm super jealous of that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Although the only one in the theater upset when Lyra gets killed. (laughs) (laughs) This this is one of the trillion books I read last year when I had nothing to do but sit around and read books. Yeah. So I I am jealous that the first time I read it was last year after I'd seen the movie multiple times and said, who's Jen? I don't care. To me, I I have a hard time. It's just one big experience, um, which I really like. You know, it does make it does make this book a little sadder. Mm-hmm. knowing how things are going to go. <laughs> like, cause you get to the end of this, this book kind of has a happy ending for our good guys. Yeah. You know? They get away. Um, it's great. They get away. They got their <laughs> kid. They're going to go, you know, live. It's, it's fine. Um, to me, this book reminds me of Darth Plagueis a lot. Who's the lead character of this book? I think they're both leads. I think yeah, they both and are. Galen. I would say Lyra's almost the, in it just as much as Galen is though. Yeah. You watch so much because you watch so much of Galen's story from her point of view. Well, she's much smarter than him in a a social sense. By meaning she's smart at all in a social sense. <laughs> yes. Just, I mean, he gets it, but like 
he gets it. He gets it when it's laid out in front of him, but he doesn't think about these things. Whereas she is the one thinking about these things and going, maybe, maybe this isn't all on the level and we should look at things. And he's like, nope, science. He's almost what Oppenheimer. Yeah. Yeah. Where <laughs> we did it because what is it? We, uh, didn't uh, now I can't think of it. I just cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there is a uh, a Manhattan Project feel to all this. Right, they're creating a weapon to end all wars. Mm-hmm. I was already a huge Hannibal fan by the time this movie came out, mm. and so I loved uh, Mads from that. Also, thought he was great in uh, Casino Royale. Him being in Hannibal, which I watched when it came out, uh, made me distrust him in when I first saw him pop up in Rogue One. I was like, oh, that can't be a good guy. Mads Mikkelsen is not a good guy. I love him in everything I see him in, but I don't see him as a good guy. So for him to be a good guy in Rogue One, I was like, whoa, I now I have to rethink him every time I see him. Well, I like that he's not He's not 100% a good guy. He does end up working on this project. There are times where it seems that he, he because I think in this book, it's shown a few times that he knows what's going on. He just doesn't want to interrupt his work. You know, like as long as he could convince himself that's not what's happening, he can right. keep doing it. You know, because when, when Lyra comes to him and says, I think you're being used, he's like, no, I think you're right. I've been feeling the same way too, but he hasn't mentioned it. <laughs> well, because he's got access to those sweet Kybers at that point. Right. I've got some big ass Kybers. <laughs> when this starts, like he's not pro-rebel either, right? He's agnostic. He's right. apathetic to the war. You know, he, he doesn't care to pick a side. He's not trying to take down the fascist regime of the empire. He eventually does become that to an, you know, in his, in the way that he can. Oh, Lyra, troublesome as ever. You're not taking him. No, of course I'm not. I'm taking you all. You'll all come. You, your child, you'll all live in comfort. As hostages. As heroes of the empire. No. Think very carefully. It's nice because Lyra gets so little time in Rogue One, but makes an impression, I think, uh, just because she abandons her kid to go get shot. And that scene doesn't make a lot of sense without this book. Like, why would you run towards death troopers and credit and leave her daughter behind? Even then, uh, after reading this book and thinking about the beginning of Rogue One again, it's not 100% for me because they barely know Saw Gerrera. He picks them up because Haas says, hey, go pick these guys up. They don't have some kind of long-standing relationship. So when when her mother's like, yeah, if, if anything happens, go call Saw. Better call Saw. You barely know Saw. He, he has no relationship with you other than he picked you up and took you to safety on Lamu. Yeah, I mean, I imagine he's probably bringing them supplies and yeah. and enough that they had a plan. So when Krennic shows up, they're like, yeah, call Saw. I, I just... Because no one else can know they're, th- they're there. Like, they can't tell anybody but Saw. I thought it was a deeper relationship. You know, like they'd known him longer... They had more of a relationship with him rather than he's just the guy who Haas said, hey, go get these guys because I can't. But at this point, that's who they can trust. You don't know who else you can trust in the universe anymore. And you know, this guy's on the level. The plan wasn't to adopt her. The plan was to get them all out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they both end up trying. But I because I, I don't think what we're supposed to see Lyra doing in the movie is heroic. It's a it's a it's honestly just it's a terrible mistake she makes. 
again, and it bleeds together, but I started reading the Alexander Freed novelization right after I finished reading Catalyst the other day because I just wanted to roll right into that scene after finishing the book. She, there's a moment where, from Lyra's point of view, she goes like, oh, she's made a mistake. Like, this isn't going to work out. Well, you can't blame her for wanting to save her husband, but still... You got a six-year-old who probably needs your protection just a teensy bit more. Part of her mindset there is she has known Krennic for a long time, and she doesn't think he has the stones to do that. I don't know. After that last time he threatens her, I kind of took it as... She seems pretty yeah, She knows this time if he takes Galen, he's not coming back. Well, yeah, no, and, and that's definitely why she confronts him. I don't think she necessarily thinks she's going to end up dead when that starts, though. Yeah. They're still coming from Coruscant and they're still coming from a world of politics and stuff. Right. And she's still Galen Urso's wife and they're still respected scientists and all this stuff. And there's probably something in her brain saying there's no way they'll shoot me. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Krennic has known me forever. And that's one thing I really like about kind of how they played the relationship with Krennic is Krennic and Galen are friends like yeah. yeah, he's, you know, Krennic uses him and all that stuff, but they really are kind of friends. Mm-hmm. And they could have, I think, made Krennic just another Tarkin, another, you know, stone cold bad guy. And they didn't. And I had forgotten how much Krennic, I think we get a lot more of the Krennic stuff in the Rogue One book of kind of his background. And that kind of bled over, like you said, when I read this, I was like, and, you know, we talked about it with the capes, a lot more capes in Rogue One than there is in this book. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd forgotten that he doesn't put on the cape till the end. Like he's yeah. he's assuming his evil his identity, identity by throwing on the cape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got a cape. Now I'm evil. Maybe too many capes. You know, they've known each other since they were pretty young. They are friends and they've they're friends that have taken different routes, but they're not necessarily at least when we meet them, they're not antithetical to each other. No. They're both people that when the war's over, just go with it. Mm-hmm. They both just go with their being an empire. Mads doesn't all of a sudden join. I'll say this for Lyra. She's a little bit of a hypocrite. She knows what's going on and she still lives in Coruscant, you know, while Galen's working. And, and to me, the most stunning moment in the whole book is that moment where he brings him all the kyber crystals and they're oh, all little yeah. ones. And, and she knows Oh hey, these these came from lightsabers. That that's the only thing they could have come from. And that's the end of book one, right? Right. It's a hard end there. Like boom, chapter, you know, book over. Not not just chapter over, section one over. But then she still kinda hangs around, you know, like to me, like that's the moment where you used to get at all, right? <laughs> right. That's when you say, uh, wait, I I'm I'm a believer in the force. I'm a big supporter of the Jedi, even though right. they're not here anymore. All of a sudden, um, maybe there's a problem here if we all of a sudden are getting all these crystals to work with that came from the Jedi. But it doesn't stop Galen from experimenting. With As that. I said, I think she knows she can't pull Galen away yet. So yeah. he's not going to go. Because he just got a bunch of Kyber dropped in his lap. Like, Yeah. Well, I like when they explain, like, after she leaves to go on her little survey trip with Haas when she comes back, Galen's different. Like... Without her there, he's kind of slipped and is obsessed with the work so much that he's not sleeping and gives a little beautiful mind with it. Mm-hmm. The research itself, the discovery itself, is the is the passion, right? Yeah, it is, is the work with little or no. And and this, to be fair, is a moral dilemma of a lot of scientists, which is we can do this, but should we do this? You know, it's one of the big questions, especially as we go forward into things like genetics and everything. Mm-hmm. Or, or to make it pop culture accessible. If I may, um, 
I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're that you're using here. Uh, it didn't require any discipline to attain it. You know, you read what others had done, and you and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it? Well. I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. That's totally the quote I was trying to think of earlier. <laughs> there it is. He just wants to get his research done. He just wants to learn. And yes, he has altruistic ideas for well, yeah, he's, what this he's can trying be used. to provide free energy. That's what he thinks the whole thing is about, is providing free energy. But it's not, it's really about his ego being the smartest guy in the room. Like, well, yeah. he has to have that to drive him. He has to have his own ambition to drive him to want to do that. He thinks that's the project he's working yes. on, though. He has no yes. clue that it could be used for military purposes. He doesn't even think that it could be used for military purposes. He just thinks free energy, I could be the one to crack this. I don't know if he doesn't think it could be used for military. I think he's told it won't be. But I don't know how you can think that I'm going to create an unlimited, never-before-seen power source and it's not going to end up, you know. And there's the one scene, yeah, where he says, well, I figured this out now. I can shoot the lasers in it, but I can't contain it. At that point, he's got to know what they're about to do. <laughs> like, right, but they're doing something. You know? <laughs> Look at that. I just created a giant laser. I wonder if they will just be cool with this. Because I think without Lyra there, he might have done it. He might have built the laser. He probably would have. I mean, he does eventually to, you know, protect Jenner or whatever, but... But if he'd been left alone without Lyra's uh, interference, as Krennic saw it, he he probably would have stayed on Coruscant and finished the laser. Mm -hmm. It's easy to... uh... It's easy to throw away your morals when there's nobody there to judge you. Yeah. When there's nobody there to be to hold you accountable for going against them, right? So if he is on his own, even if he is a pacifist, if it's just him, if he doesn't have anyone to disappoint, if he doesn't have anyone to, you know, any anyone to live up to, it's very easy to see him slipping into something like that. Um, it's it's not that she's interfering. I know that's those cranks words, not hers, uh, not yours. It's not that she's interfering. It's just that like. He, he has a family that he has to like, he has to be able to look him in the eye, you know, but if he lose that, and that's what Krennic would really like is if he loses that and the only thing he has to look at is his work, it's really easy to get him tunnel visioned. Even if he'd gotten rid of Lyra, I mean, what's he going to do? Like try to explain himself to a six-year-old? I mean, she doesn't know what's going on. And so I could see him even with just Jin, I could see him still wanting to like be able to look her in the eye and say that he's doing the right thing. To look into the stardust. <laughs> he, exactly. He's yes. already not yes. paying attention to her. No, that is true. Through most of this book. That is true. Yeah, no, he definitely gets myopic. Again, that's part of Krennic's plan, right? Is to get him tunnel vision so that, so that he will work on this thing so intensely that he won't even ask what it's for. Uh-huh. It's not a weapon. Okay. Even though every sign points the weapon, he is only looking at the end point. And what Lyra and Jin do is they make him look other directions and they give him other perspectives and, and, and all the you know, other friends and all the other scientists, they all give different points of view. And that's not what Cret Orson wants. Orson wants him to only be focused on this one thing. Mm-hmm. 
so that he doesn't think about the consequences of it, which are fairly grave. Although, you know, Krennic, someone should tell Krennic that it's going to kill him. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, that he'll find out what it's like to be on the other side of it one day. And and that did make me enjoy Rogue One much more. The poetic justice of, of watching him get blown up by his own weapon. Well, Dan, because Tarkin kind of does the same thing to him. Gets him to basically yeah. build him the Death Star and then is like, <laughs> well, it's mine now. <laughs> but have you considered the TIE Defender program? <laughs> <laughs> I I do like the power play between him and Tarkin in this book. And, and it happens in other places as well. Uh, but in this book, it's it's nicely done because it's subtle. And it's, oh, snap, Krennic lured me here with this ruse so that I wouldn't pay attention to what he's got going on. I got to get back. What's well, also when we meet him, at least Tarkin's not governor yet right so like how many years does this book cover it covers a lot doesn't it i mean it covers pretty much the end of attack of the clones maybe a little past the end of attack of the clones all the way uh five six years after revenge of the sith so it's a good right nine years maybe if you are watching this then perhaps there's a chance to save the alliance Perhaps there's a chance to explain myself, and though I don't dare hope for too much, a chance for Jen, if she's alive, if you can possibly find her, to let her know that my love for her has never faded, and how desperately I've missed her. Jen, my stardust, I can't imagine what you think of me. When I was taken, I faced some bitter truths. I was told that soon enough Krennic would have you as well. As time went by, I knew that you were either dead or so well hidden that he would never find you. I knew if I refused to work, if I took my own life, it would only be a matter of time before Krennic realized he no longer needed me to complete the project. So I did the one thing nobody expected. I lied. I learned to lie. I played the part of a beaten man resigned to the sanctuary of his work. I made myself indispensable, and all the while, I laid the groundwork of my revenge. We call it the Death Star. So outside of those, let's talk about some of the other smaller things that happen in this book that are good. I really like Paul Goldfell Lesser in this book. Yeah. 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 I like, <laughs> like, I like seeing Poggle. All the stuff with Poggle was great. <laughs> like, yeah. where Poggle won't admit that they actually designed the Death Star. He's like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, kind of keeps you like, I know you did this. He's like, well, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, some, somebody did. And he's just hanging out. Yeah, he's hanging out on his like, <laughs> pleasure yacht while the Geonosians are building the Death Star and he's secretly building the hyperdrive so he can deuce out back to Dooku. And that's the best part. <laughs> yeah, is when he just pieces it out. <laughs> and he yeah. tells everybody, just go ahead and destroy what you built. Krennic freaks <laughs> out. But it's they set it up really well though. Because like they talk about the Geonosians. And this is the most, I think, outside of, you know, a couple of those Clone Wars episodes where we get kind of more how the Geonosians work. Yeah. Like where they will fight each other to get work. And so Pog was like, yeah, no, nah, that's just what they do. Um, just let them kill each other. It'll be cool. So then when it's it happens fine. and he deuces, Craig loses it. 
Yeah, I like Poggle. Yeah, I thought that was great. And yeah, I thought bringing Poggle. Now, when does Poggle die? Do we know exactly? Because then when it cuts to after the Clone Wars, it mentions that he's dead. So I guess he died in the Clone Wars at some point. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't remember either. Listen, I like Krennic, but Krennic's also like kind of a doofus at times. Yeah, I mean, not a doofus, but he makes mistakes. He's not the most capable in all aspects, right? Mm. He's middle management. He's yeah. not perfect. He's not necessarily a great leader. He's not a great strategist. Poggle totally takes him for a ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he keeps trying to drop it in there. Like, I know Dooku's building one of these. And he's like, oh, maybe that could be happening. Then he bombs out and he's like, Dooku for life, bitch. (laughs) So they have this plan and it's got this giant radar dish on it. And they're like, I think that's a weapon. We're not real sure what goes there. (laughs) And they actually say, this is a case where function follows form. And I was like, on your giant trillion credit project, maybe you don't just go ahead and start building before you know what it does. What you're going to do. (laughs) All we know from Attack of the Clones is that, like, they gave him a picture of it. (laughs) That could have been the equivalent of, like, Poggle scribbled it on a napkin and gave it to Dooku. It's got TBD written on the the dish. (laughs) It's when they're, like, they're getting really excited designing it. And they're like, yeah, and it should have, like, a super weapon. We'll figure that out later. But just we we don't know what it's going to be. Just put put a place for it. (laughs) It is so interesting how this works, because I would not have, like, if I were making Attack of the Clones, I probably wouldn't have that in there, the handoff of the Death Star plans, right? It just felt a little too hokey in the moment, right? And it is funny that, like, because of that little moment, which is almost, not almost kind of a joke, Mm -hmm. from that, then all the other writers have to go, like, the Gene Notions design the Death Star? What the hell? Okay, how do we we make this work, you know? And I thought he did a good job making it work, but still, there's been so much energy spent on, like, trying to figure out how that works, because the expanded universe had a whole other backstory about who the designer was. Uh Guess the bugs built it. Well, one of the great things about Lucino, though, is he can take what he's given to work with, and he can work with it. He doesn't have to do quite the ridiculous gymnastics that some other authors have had to do. And, and not pointing fingers at like Timothy Zahn. Timothy Zahn has done very well with the constraints he's been given in the past. But I feel like Lucino just makes it work. It's also just the type of books that he wants to write, you know. I mean, he's not writing of all the major writers. He's the one that, I don't know, his books read the least like adventure novels. You know, these aren't really action books. No. They're not really adventure books. They're politics books. They're history books. Like Alexander Freed's the guy you bring in to do the Rogue One adaptation because, you know, Alexander Freed likes to write battles and military stuff. You do, it's not what, not what you bring Lucino in for. You know, you bring him in for psychological stuff and you bring him in for his ability to hold in his head. This is why I still, you know, why Plagueis is so amazing. Lucino has this ability to hold it all in his head, this this complex web that's not just been made by Lucas. It's made, been made by hundreds, if not thousands of people building up this galaxy that is Star Wars. And he gets it and he's trying to tell stories that span decades uh, in like Plagueis or in this, you know, that span a big amount of time. And so he's got to keep that whole picture in his head. And he has one of the most complete images of at least the Empire and the Rebellion and how that all works, I think, from anybody. You know, um, I just think he's got a vision in his head that nobody else does. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I, I also like the the little nod to characters he created that are now legends that come back. I mean, I, he already brought Sate Pestage back in Tarkin, which I, I'm pretty sure Tarkin was written before this one. But 
St. Pestage only comes up once in this book, but it's just a little nod to things he's created that he's working back into canon now. Wikipedia shows a picture of a guy that they say might be St. Pestage, but there's no... Oh, you're right. There's okay. no real confirmation. Again, like we were talking about with all of a sudden Mon Mothma and Admiral Akbar showing up in Return of the Jedi, all of a sudden the em- when the we well one the Emperor shows up in Return of the Jedi, but also he's got like these people like wearing like like uh, purple robes hanging around him and stuff. It was very it was always very weird as a kid, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the Emperor's entourage. When I was a little kid, I didn't care who those guys were, but now I care who they are. And and for many many years I've cared who they are. But when I was a little kid, like there's teddy bears and an evil space wizard, and I, I don't. There's some other guys. I don't care who they are. Space wizard and teddy bears. Uh, were there any other little things you wanted to bring up? Yeah, there? I like the idea that he kind of weaves through the whole book with the legacy worlds and uh, uh, indigenous people of Coruscant, where you know the Republic had set. You know, you don't hear, get to hear too much about good things the Republic did. But that they, you know, had set up this, like, park on Coruscant where the original people left. And the Emperor, go ahead and knocks that one out. Yeah. And kind of that setup of the legacy worlds that they hid what they were doing by being on these planets that you weren't allowed to go to, you're not allowed to develop. Right. And kind of the way credit gets them out of the way is really smart. And it also, like... I don't know the idea that that the legacy worlds are even still a, an idea during the empire is like when when you do something like take over a government like that you don't you don't throw out everything you don't throw out everything overnight right how will the emperor maintain control without the bureaucracy you need people to think that things are still normal you know and you don't need to when when you t- when you're the evil space wizards and you take over you don't need to get rid of national parks mm-hmm. you don't need to just start throwing everything out I mean he finds ways to exploit them mm-hmm. which is cool. Well, and that—that's why he keeps the Senate for so long. Right. Exactly. That's why you, you, you can't just walk in and be like, "I'm the emperor." There's no Senate. Bye. Uh, you have to make people believe that they're still making the decisions. Yeah. Yes, we have a strong leader right now because we need a strong leader, but he's still there to do the will of the people. Blah 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 blah. If the entire galaxy had turned on Palpatine at once, they could have taken him. If they all, I mean, we've seen Jedi get shot down, right? Uh-huh. Like if, if the whole galaxy decided to turn on him at one time, if he had literally no allies, he, he, they could have, they could have stopped him. You know, one thing I like he throws in and it's like just a quick line is that the legacy world, that's where Benthic is from that. And that's, I guess why Benthic goes and joins saw is that right. he was this minor and part of preserving the legacy worlds. And so it was destroyed. Yeah. There's a lot of things kind of sprinkled in there that of course I didn't notice the first time. Cause I didn't know who any of these characters, the side characters were. Mm-hmm. It's just so cool. How like saw has become this character, this character, you know, yeah, from that, what two arcs, two episode arc on Clone Wars, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. about, about Onderon. And now he's kind of like, do you remember in the expanded universe, there were, I believe three people that signed the accords to create the rebel Alliance. There was Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, and a guy named Garm Bell Iblis. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was created by Timothy Zahn, I believe in the original Thrawn trilogy. So he almost is like that guy, you know, who I do believe was ostracized for being too militant though. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, um, or at least too militant too quickly. So he kind of reminds me of him, like personality wise, they're completely different, but like that, the idea that there was originally this other pillar in, in the rebellion, you know, even though he was never quite a member, but there was this other 
Because I would say like we know Infus Nest is out there, but I would say the Partisans are definitely like the number two group of rebels power wise, you know, influence wise. And so I, I like that they built this character up from this one kid we met on Underon years ago. General Skywalker, at your service. This is General Kenobi, Commander Tano, and Captain Rex. We're looking forward to taking a fight to those scrapping droids. Yes, all in good time. So, Saw Guerrera. The other thing I really liked in this book was how they explained the Kyber. Like, the Kyber crystals. And how they're, like, alive. Yeah. And they resist being studied and they grow from like the bottom of the planet and have to go through like they have like a life cycle basically um and and then i like how galen the way he ends up creating the laser out of them is by essentially almost like a magnet where there's like light side on the dark top and dark on the bottom and then it shoots a laser out of the middle no i mean i i think they're kind of decision to kind of go all in with the kyber idea you know yeah very different from the kyber crystal in splendor of the mind's eye very but, different <laughs> yeah. um but it makes more but, sense from this too how a sith bleeds a kyber crystal because they're alive so you can kind of influence them Pep, it's me it's jen jen stop us I've seen your message. The hologram, I've seen it. It must be destroyed. I know, I know. We will. Yes. Look at you. I have so much to tell you. So thanks everybody for joining us tonight and tune in next time on our own little mini personal road to star wars where we will conclude with rebel rising by beth revis i don't know we may keep going we may keep going on this theme of like the alliance you know it's kind of where we're what we're in right now stories we can find where the alliance doesn't suck the alliance doesn't suck the republic sucks The, the new republic sucks i'm sorry that's fair. We got through this whole thing and didn't even mention Ryan's car. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> okay, sorry. sorry. My wife does not listen to this, so she will never hear it. Yes, <laughs> I drive a rogue, possibly for reasons. Have you looked into a personalized license plate? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are your what oh. what is your first draft? What are your first thoughts? I'm just not sure. Because yeah, it's a hard one. yeah, because at first I was, you know, I was thinking about your generic like New Hope ones, but now I'm leaning more towards Rogue One ones. Maybe a K2SO. I don't know. Not, not that you would do that. If I can get some extra lines, what? you know, save the rebellion, save the dream. <laughs> I think K2SO would be easier and more subtle because it wouldn't look as much like a vanity plate. <laughs> I bet it's taken though. Yeah, I bet it's taken. Probably. Maybe not in Alabama. I don't know. <laughs> they get movies in Alabama. I don't know how many nerds are there. There's at least one. <laughs> <laughs> you have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger.